Hello, and welcome to the Five Core Life Podcast with Will Moore, founder of More Momentum. If you've not already, please make sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast so you get notified when a new episode drops every week. On today's episode of the Five Core Life, host Will Moore sits down with Mitzi Perdue, successful businesswoman. Mitzi shares what she learned about leadership from her father, the founder of Sheraton Hotels. Her father's goal as a leader was to give people a better vision for themselves. She talked about how when her father was buying out hotels during the Great Depression, he would focus his investment first on making all the employee spaces nice as a way of communicating to his people how important they truly were. He'd always make them feel like they were a part of this team together and that the whole couldn't work without them. Mitzi shares how her father at age 26 was getting married and his own mom told his wife not to marry him because he would end up poor because he couldn't stick with anything. And later, he was then told by a guidance counselor that he wouldn't be a research scientist because he had the worst human communication skills the counselor had ever seen. Mitzi's father took this as a challenge and ended up studying as much as he could about human behavior and the rest, as they say, is history. In addition, Mitzi shares her own experiences with overcoming obstacles along with the view on mindset that both her father and her husband, the founder of Purdue Chicken, share. Mitzi explains how she got into writing and television with no experience doing either. Mitzi and Will also describe raising kids and how to make the world a better place. So are you ready to fire on all cylinders? If so, let's go. Everyone has the same five core areas of their life that ultimately determine how happy they'll be. Unfortunately, most of us have developed failure habits in each, and it's Will Moore's mission to help replace those with success habits to maximize momentum. After exiting his business for a combined nine-figure sum, Will learned it's not just about becoming an entrepreneur of your career, but an entrepreneur of the most important business you'll ever run, your life. And to crush it in your life requires firing on all cylinders in your five cores by continually taking action, building habits, and maintaining balance in each. Mitzi Purdue, oh my God, I, I'm going to let you kind of do it. I'll, I'll just give the 10,000 foot view joining us. Super excited. We had some technical difficulties, uh, but here we are and you are um, the, I mean, I guess I'll introduce you in the vain way of how people may know you, but then really the reason you're on your sh- this show is because of what you have done with your life, not who you were married to or who you're the daughter of, but what you're doing with your life, the experiences you've had and how you're now trying to give back to the world based on the success that you have, which I'm just like, you are living the five core life and I'm just so excited to have you on. So let me just briefly introduce you. Uh, Mitzi Purdue, you probably know the last name. Has anybody had chicken in their lives? I certainly have. I remember your husband, by the way. So she's the, the, the uh, her, her late husband was Frank Purdue. The, I say chicken magnate. Is that the no, right that way? That that, does that work? Okay. Yeah. So, and that's still going. I mean, huge, unbelievable chicken. Everybody's had a chicken. I remember his commercials. Was it the 80s, 90s? Yeah, 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. God, was he awesome. I mean, I vividly remember those and how funny. And I just, so that was neat. That's a really cool child uh, memory I have early on of his really great commercials. And, that, and then also, you are the daughter of the founder of Sheraton. Is that correct? That's also correct. So... And- Go ahead, please. Well, I'm just thinking, you, in, in your introduction of me, you were saying uh, that I'm something of, on my own. But in fact, I got to watch two amazing business titans and what their attitudes and their approach to life and 
how they did it. So that certainly formed me with some really good ideas of how to do it. Thank you. That's, you know, that's it. Right. And, and thank you for, right. I, I just wanted to make sure that sometimes, you know, I, I can't imagine because I don't have a, a famous affiliate to me. You've got two, right? And so yeah. I just putting myself in your shoes, um, I can imagine sometimes it might be like, yeah, I'm that daughter. Yes, I'm, you know, the wife, but it's like, but, but look at what I'm doing, right? And so I, I love that you're being humble and you're saying, you know, and, and absolutely, you know, that's the way to go through life. That's how to live the five core life is to actually be learning and growing from the people around you. And you had two unbelievably successful people that, you know, that you surrounding you your whole life. And so I can't imagine that that couldn't have rubbed off. So let's start there. Um, and let's talk about how, how do you feel? Um, like what, what kind of lessons did you learn? Maybe we'll start with your dad. That, that works for me. Yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit about that, maybe early childhood and some of the lessons you got out. Okay, as, as a child, there were, I had five siblings, or there were five of us. And you know how kids compete for parental attention? Well, I found the perfect way to get my father's attention, and that was to ask him about his business. So I was forever asking, how did you start with one hotel and end up with 400? How did you start with no employees and end up with 20,000? And I'll share some of his answers because mm. you know, they, they formed me, but they might be useful to others as well. And one of the best ways that I can express his success, and that might be useful to people today, is he would always say that his entire success was because of the people who worked with him. But that immediately brings up the question, how do you get people who work for you you know, to go the extra mile and to stay with you for life and make the thing a success. So I have an answer for that. I asked him, you know, in, in some of these many conversations, what was it like when you took over a hotel? You know, the hotel probably has its own culture, its own way of doing things. And how could you inspire people to change and be better than they ever were? Because that would, that's what it took, took to go from one hotel to 400. He explained to me that the day he'd take possession of a hotel, and frequently there might be in the hotel ballroom, because he'd invite them all to meet him, there might be 400, 800 people, employees of the hotel. And he told me that he knew that probably every single one of them was worried whether they were going to keep their job. Because it's typical, you take over a hotel and you take care of your friends and your relatives. And um, Absolutely. All right, so he said that he knew they weren't going to listen to him until he said the first words out of his mouth, I want every one of you to stay, everyone keeps your job. And then he explained to them why he wanted them to keep their job. He said, you know your job better than anybody else in the whole world. And my job is to give you the resources to show the world just how good you are. Because you're going to see in a couple of months, this is going to be the most popular, the best served, the most financially stable hotel in the whole city. And since a lot of this took place during the Great Depression in the 1930s, he would also tell them, at least at the beginning of the hotel company, of the hotel chain, he'd tell them, we're going to be an example to the rest of the city. We're going to show people that things can turn around and get better. I love it. All right, so I asked him why he, why he phrased it that way. And he said, 
that a leader's job is to give people a better vision of themselves. So the maid who's making beds or the waitress who's waiting on table or the bartender who's tending bar, they aren't just doing that job. No, they're part of a team that's building the best hotel in the whole city and example to everybody else. And his phrase was always, inspire, don't require. I love that. So, I mean, that's so, it's basically exactly what I'm now trying to do. And, 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 and now it's like, it's, it, to me, that's a, that's a mini version of like, look at the hotel as the world and the people working there as the people that live in the world. And it's, and as your dad smartly got early on, it's like you help them become the best version of themselves. And then you help this thing that they're part of become the best version of itself, which is my exact motto. Right, Actually, but I do it on a bigger scale with the world. Well, when I read when I read your website, I just dove into it. I kept thinking, yeah, the overlap is in its own way on a different scale. Perfect. And my own mission in life, and I'm not saying I achieve it, but it's you know, it's aspirational. I want to give every resource of time and energy and education to you know, to me the ideal world would be when people get to be all that they can be. And can I, I want to add a PS that I didn't mention to the story that I just told you about when father was first meeting his new employees. Mm -hmm. He told me that during the Great Depression, every hotel that he bought was usually one that was going bankrupt. I mean, that's why it was for sale. Right. He told me that, of course, a hotel that's going bankrupt, it's, you know, the, it needs a lot of refurbishing. You know, the carpets are are stained and the curtains are probably frayed and you have to invest money into making it look kind of attractive and fresh that the traveling public would want to come to. But he told me that the first money that he ever spent on any hotel he ever bought was not in areas that the guests would ever see, but in areas that only the employees would see, like the employee showers, the employee dining room, the locker rooms, the rickety old elevators, the first money he ever spent was wow. on. And so, of course, you know, as a child, I asked him, why wouldn't you spend money on the on the places that you'd get money back from with the traveling public? And he said, because this was a way of communicating to the people who worked there how important they were. Wow. Whew. I mean, talk about like just... I mean, now, I mean, I, thank you so much for sharing that story. And, you know, you, this to me exemplifies the point that success isn't accidental. You know, I mean, yeah, once in a while you're going to have see that kid on Instagram that's 18 and just, you know, made 20 million because he's doing backflips that nobody else can do. Right. But that's like you, real life. The way you get to be successful is you understand certain principles in life. And one of the biggest principles is make the other piece, person feel important. Yes. Cultivate relationships. I mean, that's, I mean, Mitzi, tell me, am I wrong to, to say that that's just about 99% of, 99.9% of relationship is just make them feel special, important, and actually listen to them versus put the focus on yourself? Amazingly, that's what my father, Ernest Henderson, preached. It's also what Frank Perdue and since you're about growth and being all you can be, uh, there's, there's a PS to the story about my father, which is 
when he was 26 years old and he didn't get into the hotel business for 10 years, but he couldn't stick to anything. Uh, he was, you know, couldn't stay in jobs. He was just, how about a complete, almost a non-starter. So right. much, so much so that my grandmother, his mother, told my mother when she was thinking of marriage or when they got engaged, my grandmother told my mother, don't marry Ernest. He can never stick to anything. You'll end up poor. And, and mother said, I don't care. I love him. And they married anyway. But that was a huge wake up call to father. Uh, you know, if his own mother is saying, warning a young woman not to marry him, uh, he had to do something. So he went to a, a career guidance counselor, picked out somebody out of the equivalent of the yellow pages, whatever it was, uh, around 1928, or I've got the years wrong, maybe 1923. And he spent eight hours with this career guidance counselor getting every kind of test that you could get. And the career guidance counselor told my father, you have the worst human relations skills that I've ever come across. And what I recommend for you for a career is you've got to choose something where you don't interact with people because you just aren't good at it. Uh, you're a smart fellow. So I recommend that you become a scientist and you work in a laboratory and you don't interact with anybody. Well, father took that as a challenge because he reasoned that anything that you want in life, maybe except a scientist in a laboratory who doesn't interact, but anybody in a normal life has to know how to get along with people, has to understand what makes them tick, how to, how to, how to be warm and embracing and evidently the opposite of everything that he was. So he took it as almost his life goal to understand everything that he could about human nature since he was so naturally awful at it. And he, re he read books. He, he told me that he read Dale Carnegie's Win Friends and Influence People, that he would read that book for oh. years. He also said that he took the course, he took public speaking courses, he took psychology courses, he'd attend lectures. And later on in life, by the time he was famous, we would have his house guests, famous psychologists and psychiatrists, like B.F. Skinner, uh, who was a famous psychiatrist, would, would be a regular weekend guest and then talk psychiatry and what made people tick. And I think the fact that he was so innately awful at human relations and then decided just almost as an act of will to get better at it, I think that gave him an advantage over everybody else because, because he was the only one who understood so much about what his audience or what uh, his employees were thinking and feeling and knew to address it. I mean, that's, a, that's about as good as it gets right there. So there's so much in what you just said. So first off, I, you, you mentioned that you looked at my website. I'm, I'm writing a book that, that hasn't been published yet. I literally, in my, very, in my very first chapter, talk about how I had hit this rock bottom bounce when I was around 18, 19 years old. Or excuse me, I hit my rock bottom around 18, 19. I was very depressed. I was actually suicidal. I had a really rough adolescence, maybe a little different than you experienced, right? Um, but it's what, but right, but you know what? Look what you've been able to do with your life, and look what I. So it doesn't matter that the point is, it doesn't matter where you come. But when when it's particular, when you do have those struggles early on, just like uh, your dad, and and that's what I had. You know, I I serendipitously discovered just which made me smile a, a book called How to Win Friends and Influence People by Mr. Dale Carnegie. 
written way back in what the 20s at this point that book you pick that book up right now even though even the one that's not been i guess they've slightly modernized it to have the references be you know more more current but even if you read the original version you're like yes and that's when you know it, these are universal principles that have been around since the beginning of, of man and will be around till the end and you can try to work your way around it and cheat the system but at the end of the day the law of compounding is going to play itself out and you either live your life that way and you live your life with somebody that gets that relationships are about making the other person feel special, important, listening, being empathetic, getting way more out of life by trying to help others and give to them than you ever will by trying to lie, cheat and steal like that. That was the very first main principle that literally changed my life. And then I became this insatiable self-help beast after that. And I started reading all these books and was like, oh my God, yes, there's there's a different way to look at life. And then I yeah. slowly started changing my whole perspective and attitude on life and, and, and all these different areas of my life, right? But it all started with that. And I think I had an ax to grind, just like your dad. I had a chip on my shoulder because I had such a, a a rough adolescence and was like, I am going to completely reinvent myself. I am going to figure out how to change. And that's, it's really cool to hear that story because it sounds like your dad and I had some stuff in common in a way where it was like I was determined to, 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 to turn things around and to change. No, I'm not going to be labeled as this, this person that can't do this or can't do that. I am going to say I can do it and I'm going to figure out a way to do it. And then you put the hard work into it. And it doesn't, like we were just saying, it doesn't happen overnight. Um, but my equation of life that I like to tell people is your belief system plus your repeated actions plus time equals who you will become. To me, that literally has it all, right? Your belief system, is it broken? Is it, is it skewed? It, or is it, you know, are you living your life by principles? Like we were just talking about one of these that, uh, regarding making people feel important and special. Or are you, you know, were you raised, you know, and, and granted, we're in a broken system. We've been in a broken system for a long time. And I'm not trying to be one of these haters, but straight up, the schooling system hasn't been updated in the last, you know, 150 years. I'm uh, so on board with that thought. Right. The, 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 and now, you know, your, your, your parents, you know, you got great parents and still good morals and values. Um, and so you were, had a leg up, but a lot of people don't get that. And it's kind of the luck of the draw. And you're just, and it's like whatever they're repeating over and over, you become that. And then you start taking those actions. And then before you know it, that's you. And then all of a sudden, like we're in this polarized world right now where it's like me versus you, you know, look at politics, look at what's going on in the U S and around the world. It's like, this is what I believe. And you don't believe the same thing as me. You're a bad person. Right. But that's, that's, you, but you got to take the 10,000 foot view that they're not bad people. That's just the system that they grew up in, the people that were around them, their peers, their parents, whatever. That's what their belief system came to be. And they repeated actions based on that over and over. And then time did its thing. And now here they are. And this is who they've become, right? The equation of life. And so it's like, I use this term. I just heard it recently, which I love. It's called reparenting. And wow. I think it's a really neat, I, I love it. I, it's a really neat term because it's sort of like you've been parented your whole life, you know, uh, to, to sort of see things one way. And if it's building negative momentum and it's not helping you become the biggest, bestest, fastest, awesomest version of yourself, then you're going to want to look at things differently. And the only way to do that is to reparent yourself. And that's what I'm trying to help people do, to look at their oh, life with these, these five cores. But that's so brilliant. And, and 
By the way, I love I love the five cores. I of course took the test. All um, right. And I felt that I did reasonably well in most of them, but boy, I, I did some work on physical fitness. But that but that's great to know because I'll try harder. That I'm I'm so glad you said that, and I'm glad. Thanks for being honest. You know, I think even for people that are exceptional individuals like yourself that are out there doing amazing things, like nobody's perfect, right? Even even me, like I, I, I'm writing about the five core life. I'm preaching the five core life. I'm not every single day firing on all five cylinders, like 24 seven. It's just not possible. The whole point is that you've shined a spotlight on the areas that you see are hurting you and are making you less happy. Just like you said, you, 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 you got a shot spotlight shined on your physical health. Like, oh, I could probably do more. And it's not like you didn't know in the back of your mind, but by taking this, this quiz on the website, which by the way, M O O R E more momentum.com. It's just a brief, you know, little like, okay, where do, you know, where do I stand? And it's like, okay, this is my weak area. These are the five main areas of, of life. And I spent a lot of time putting all this together and thinking, how can I simplify this down? Cause you have other people who are like, oh, there's eight areas. There's nine, there's this, there's that, there's spiritual. To me, it's really just these five and everything else, everything in your life, everything around you can fit into one of these categories. And so by understanding what they are and understanding what are the failure habits that you might've developed in each of them and what are the success habits to replace them with, um, that's really what it's all about. And then you well, just got to start taking the action. Well, what I loved about it, I mean, first of all, it's kind of philosophically really interesting to look at your life and sort of in the panorama. But I loved that, like with the physical fitness thing, I, it, was, it was a wake-up call because it, it hadn't been on my radar that I was below where I would really like to be. And so... Now it's given me a focus of something to work on. <laughs> so I'm going to put you. Go I, I want to build on something else that you said about yeah. about self help and, and reading the books and so forth. I will confess to being a self help addict my entire life. Yes, because I always feel that you can improve and you can get better and you can be more and you can do more and and I have the definition of success. Ooh, um, do tell. Success is measured not by what you can get, but by what you can give. Mm. And so like, in, the, in the case of my father, he told me, you know, he was clearly a very wealthy man. If, if he owns, or at least the family owns 400 hotels, he employs 22,000 people. We did sell it by the way at his death, but this is a very wealthy man. What were his values? What made him happy? He told me the greatest happiness that his wealth ever gave him wasn't giving it away yeah. this guy got it just like you know the, he, he your dad i wish i could have been around to meet your dad um because he and i would have would have had some good conversations but you're, you're here and you've you've inherited that wisdom and i can see you know you didn't just there's a lot of kids that are like ah my dad my you know and they go the opposite way so it's good to see that you embraced embrace some of this stuff and and now hopefully well, you and i you know, can I, develop this, this connection this relationship which we already are this is awesome um i mean it right it, it oh i lost you for a second say that again no i i, I lost you for a second but i think we're back i hope we're back yeah we're back i, I lost you for a moment say that what was your question we're back oh I, no you're here i see I, you everybody I, sees you you're here yay my my late husband was remarkably like my father in character. Uh, he was also an extraordinarily giving man. 
And his awareness of human relations was spectacular. In fact, I, I, I want to boast for a second because I played a minor role in this. And that is, we did something that I don't think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think any other head of a Fortune 500 size company did what Frank and I did, which is right at the beginning of our marriage, I said, I think we should entertain everybody in our home for dinner who works for the company. And he said, no, there's 16,000 people, which, were, which is how many it was at the time. And I kind of pretended that I didn't understand that he was saying no. And I said, I think we ought to have them 100 at a time. No, that's way too many. And you know, I, I plunge on again as if I'm not getting that he's saying no. And I say, I think we should start in six weeks. I bet we could do it in six weeks. No, that's way too soon. But, <laughs> but he eventually embraced the idea because it was a way of showing the people who worked with him how important they were. And three times a month for almost 17 years, we would have groups of people and would have, would have them, people who would know each other, who would work in the same department so that they'd feel comfortable being in the big boss's home. And he'd, he'd, or we would invite them like the veterinarians or the truckers or the accountants or the secretaries or administrative assistants would invite them in groups. And here's the part that, that I would be really surprised if there are many other heads of Fortune 500 size companies would do. At these dinners, they were, uh, there were buffets. And Frank would stand behind the buffet table and he would serve his employees. He'd wait on them. Is that not cool? Is that there not a great? It's a way of communicating. So you were able to find somebody as awesome as your dad. That's, that's, that's rare, right? Yeah. Not only was he ended up being as successful <laughs> Uh, but, you know, just from a, as you said, from a, a real definition of success on what you give to others and, and versus take. I mean, ah, that's beautiful. That's, that's know, so awesome. I know that it meant a lot to the employees, partly because, you know, at the end of the evening, Frank would stand up in front of 100 people who worked for him. You know, his name is on their checks. But, but his approach was humility as if, you know, we're all on the same team and I value you. And he'd invite people to ask him questions about what was going on in the company. So, and I think you feel more engagement with the company if, if the head of the company is telling you in all honesty and transparency, you know, here are our problems and they're huge and here's what's gone wonderfully. And so you're, you're sort of more into it if in the boss's home, he's told you what's right. going on. And it always end the evenings in, you know, in different words, but the, it would be to, in the effect, uh, I know the company wouldn't be what it is today without each of you. Thank you. Well, again, like I started when you started talking about your dad, you know, it's so important. People need to hear this. And, 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 and it's not a coincidence that both of those gentlemen, both your dad, the founder of Sheridan and uh, the founder of, of Purdue Chicken, Frank Purdue, you know, had such phenomenal success because they got, just like I read all those years ago in that book, they got it early on. It's about making other people feel special, may, uh, um, giving back to others and, and working with them and making it feel like we're all on the same team. We're here together. And if only there could be more of that in the world, right? I mean, God, goodness. I mean, Mitzi, what do you think about what's going on 
in the world right now with with all this. I mean, I don't want to get too into politics because I know they get sticky, but. Okay, and I, I won't touch on politics, but I will share my own kind of, well, looking at the world. I'm 79. I have never, and I've, I've lived through a good part of World War II, uh, various wars, very, I've never seen something so distressing because, I mean, the land of the free, we ought to be able to talk with each other and settle things or talk them out, and we don't seem able to, and that breaks my heart. I mean, I'm a million percent with you. And, you know, it, 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 it's almost like you wake up and I don't know if, you know, one of my, I, you know, these failure habits I talked about, one of these failure habits I've been trying to break that I still haven't fully succeeded in doing is reading my newsfeed um, and getting a, and getting too sucked into it. You know, you got your phone and it's got the Apple News. Uh, I have an iPhone and, you know, it's got all the, and it's just like, there's so, every headline, you're just like, like on any previous president, like, one of the five headlines that day would have been like the biggest news of the entire year. Right. But now it's just, we're like becoming immune to this stuff that's going on. And I, I see, you know, this, this hate building versus going the opposite direction. And we have somebody at least here in the U S you know, in my opinion, that is he's, he's, he's using that to his advantage, right? You, you to, to try to build his, his following, his base to build his momentum, right? He's going in the exact opposite direction. And then eventually, like I said, the equation of life, who you will become, it, 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 in my opinion, it'll catch up. But, you know, and just like you mentioned in the beginning with your hotels that I, I couldn't help but think like, okay, so here's another, uh, the guy running our, our, our country it, it does hotels as well, right? I will bet you Everything that I sold my company for, I'll bet you the $323 million that our company sold for, I'd have to go out and get it from some other people because that didn't all come to me. But I will bet you that he does the exact opposite of what your dad did in terms of starting with making it nice for the employees and doing those areas in the hotel your dad said he remodeled to make it nice and a good experience for them and making them feel safe, like they're not going to lose their jobs. The opposite is true, right? I'm guessing it's, I mean it's proven. It's a fact. I mean, there's some things we know, some things we don't, but, you know, using fear to be like, Hey, you better do your job or you're out of here. Or, you know, and, and I'm not going to spend money. I'm only going to spend money on the illusion, what people can see. If the nails, you know, that are holding up this wall are, are, are crappy nails and they're not going to last a really long time. I don't care because I'm just in this, you know, for, for five, 10 years, whatever. Like that's the type of attitude that is exactly crushing not only, you know, it, well, it, it's the, it's getting to, adapted by the mass by, you know, a lot of people. And then you have people like me and you that are like, no, that's, you're going the wrong way. Like, can't every, any, everybody see that, but no, that's not how it works. There's people, like I said, that grew up in a certain system, certain belief system, and then they're tying right into that. And it's becoming this us versus them and the world's becoming more and more polarized. And you look at these articles in the news, it's like one, you know, and, and I don't well, agree with the hatred articles on either side, right? It needs to be more, how can we do this together? That's the only way we're going to make progress. Well, I, I, I have a somewhat unusual situation, which is I've lived part-time in a very small rural area in Maryland on the Eastern shore of Maryland. I know my neighbors, I know, you know, I donate at the blood bank, I volunteer at the food bank, I, um, I volunteer for coastal hospice. I, you know, I, I've 
in the community. But I also spent maybe a third of my time in New York City. And in New York, uh, the people that I'm closest to and spend time with and communicate by email all the time have big city, big city liberal attitudes. The people where I live, or half time anyway, have, are in a completely different camp. And that means that I have the experience of hearing people in both camps, and I love them both. But their their sources of information make them see the world so differently. It's uh, it's terrifying. They they live not just geographically in different worlds, but I don't think they have any idea of how the other thinks, and they're perfectly willing to believe the worst of each other. That's well, right. Well, I, on the other hand, absolutely love my friends in in either of them. On the other right. hand, uh, I'm not willing to get into a deep political discussion with any of them for right. a reason which allow me to segue into promoting my book. Yes. I love okay. it. Please okay. do. This is is it being read in mirror writing? It's mirror, yeah. How uh, how to so be just, up. So I'll have to just tell what it is. The book is How to Be Up and Down Times. And my co author, I'm so proud of this I could die. There's a third person that is just gets it the way that my father and husband did. And we're not talking romance, by the way, because I adore his wife more than him. But my co-author is Mark Victor Hansen. Uh, and you probably know of him because of the Chicken Soup for the Soul series. He has, he's in the Guinness Book of World Records for having half a billion, with a B, books sold. I know. It's unbelievable. Okay. Unbelievable. Well, in this book, we wrote it, and it, it started at the very tail end of January. I, I mentioned I spend time in New York, but I also spend time in China. There's, there's, our, there's several families there that I'm really close to, and up until recently, I would visit for a couple of weeks every single year since 2007. So I, I have ways of kind of maybe having, knowing several weeks ahead of time that the pandemic was coming. And I suggested to Mark Victor Hansen yeah, you're one of the most inspirational people in the world. But I have something small but real to bring to the table, which is I've been a science writer and a health writer for probably 40 years, which means that I have a background for evaluating what's true and what's sketchy. And what if we joined forces and wrote a book that would help people during the pandemic? Well, he leaped at it. And something like three weeks later, we had a book. His stepson... Wow. Well, it's three people working on it because his stepson, who's about as fantastic as he is, the three of us were working eight, or at least I was working 18 hour days to get it done and get it out there. Wow. And this was a long way of going into, uh, we had discussed, you and I, a few minutes ago about why I'm not going to argue politics with either my liberal or my conservative friends. And this comes from me as a science writer, or and actually, actually as a health writer as well. There's a, there's a man who won the Nobel Prize for creating the science of, of behavioral economics. And he says that the odds of, of getting somebody to change their mind on a deeply felt thing where their identity is at stake, the odds of getting them to change their mind through an argument he said, are effectively zero. Yes. So there's, there's actually no point. 
and that's one of the one of the tips that I have, except I, I elaborate it and make it more into a story. But your chances, say you're, say you and your spouse are uh, on different, or, or a family member, you, you have to be close with them because of the p pandemic. Right. Don't try to change their minds because it is completely, not just wasted time, but, but as, as people experience cognitive dissonance, you know, somebody's trying to change your world view, it's probably going to make you mad. And so it's just, it's not just a waste of time, it's destructive. Mm -hmm. So, and I used to be, I used to be president of the oldest and largest farm women's organization, American Agri-Women. Yep. And, we, and we had a phrase, which I think, I mean, I would generate it for the whole country, maybe the whole world, but in, with American Agri-Women, there are, there are agricultural groups which uh, economically are at each other's throats. I mean, some people want high grain prices. Uh, I used to be a rice grower. I wanted high grain prices. I married Purdue. Now I want grain prices low so that the chickens are... Well, and the point that I'm making is that in agriculture, there are a whole lot of reasons to be competing with each other and angry with each other. American Agrowin flourishes because we have the phrase, and I believe we follow it pretty effectively, focus on what unites us and not what divides us. And... Yeah, isn't there a lot of wisdom to that? I mean, that, that, that's that, that's it. Like, if yeah. people actually did that, this world would be completely different, right? It really would. Uh, somewhat. I'm taking notes, by the way, if you see me doing this. Uh, I always take notes. I've always been a crazy note taker. That's where my book came from. You just told me you were, this book got done in three weeks. I've been working on my book for 25 years, so I'm a little but, behind. But, but, <laughs> but there's a difference. There were three authors, and... Since I've been, I mean, my profession for, uh, since 1980 has been being a writer. I, I had a syndicated column for Scripps Howard. It's called The Environment and You. And it was the most widely syndicated environmental column uh, for probably, probably 10 or 15 years. I read that. So, That's so cool. Okay. So I have a lot of experience in, you know, I've, I've, I've got a data bank of information. And then when you're writing when you're writing columns, if you do it enough, you, you develop a fluency so that you can do it pretty fast. Mm -hmm. So when, when I was writing this book, I, it didn't take a lot of research because I already had the notes. I had already written the columns. I knew the information and it was just a case of putting them together in their 40 tips and each one is two pages long. And the point of that is, and this is what I'm about to say is science-based when we're under stress, and we are, because between the stress of what's happening in the country, the stress of, of disease, economic stress, this is a truly stressful time. Your ability to focus goes down. So in the time of stress right now, I think it would be really hard to ask somebody to sit down and read a 300-page book. Instead, there are 40 tips, and they're arranged in ways that, uh, no, do you want spiritual advice? Do you want encouragement? Do you want physical fitness advice? And boy, am I going to go back and study that chapter some more and act on it. So, right. So they're say, right. They're kind of divided up, easy to be able to go back and look for, digestible, not like overwhelming. Yeah, like, yeah, like you don't have to read the whole book and you don't have to read it in order. Uh, but, but you want advice on some particular topic that's going to be uplifting and encouraging. Uh, come to the how to be up. 
in downtown. Oh, I love it. I love it. Uh, well, thank you for sharing that. And I, I want to help you promote that. So uh, after we'll, we'll, we'll talk after this, um, I'll, I'm going to give you a call and we'll, we'll chat briefly, but I want to help you promote that on our page as well. Oh, um, we'll do like a little, I'll that. have my, my graphics guy, or if you already have a graphic that you guys are using, promote it. We'll post that on our story. Thank um, you. Which people see. Thank you. So, yeah, of course. I mean, I, this is it. This is what we were just talking about. Finding like-minded people and working with them to help make progress, build momentum, make the world Better, not worse. Make the hotel better, not worse. As, as your dad started with all those years ago, and now here you are, and you've taken it to the next level, as well as your husband, um, uh, you know, of, of trying to actually put that stuff you've learned to use. And that's exactly where my head is. It's like, I've got all this. I've, now I've got these two small boys. I've got a four-year-old and a one-year-old. Uh... And I've got all this info that I've just been taking these crazy notes all these years, using myself as this human science experiment, seeing what works, what doesn't, and just writing these, what I call these universal truths, um, oh, these total so truths. Good. Oh, well, thank you. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Right now, my, my four-year-old son hates me because I put him to bed early last night. But yes, in the long run, I think he'll he'll thank me, right? So, right. So actually, just, can I, as your grandmother, make a comment yeah. on that? You're so doing the right thing because your job isn't to be their friend. Your job is to do what's best for them, whether they like it or not. That's exactly it, right? I mean, yesterday was a really hard one for because he's just now getting to the stage where he's like starting to use rationale, and it's like there's this like you want to be uh, there's this camaraderie, like he's like my little buddy now. It's not like I'm your parent and, and you want to keep that at the same time. I think it's very tempting, just like we were talking about earlier with these, this broken system. I think a lot of parents that didn't, that don't get that they'll give their kid whatever they want and they'll spoil them and they'll do whatever they can to be their kid's best friend. And then how does that kid turn out? That story a ain't going to end. Yeah. A monster. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I grew up with the notion, raise your kids so you can live with them. And it's not easy to live with a whiny, demanding, spoiled child. So don't do that. And, and I also felt that the most powerful word in the English language was no. I mean, I, yeah, when, when my kids would, would say, but, you know, Johnny's parents let him do this. And I'd simply say, I'm not Johnny's parents. I'm not Johnny's parents. I love you enough so that I want what's best for you. And no, the answer is no. I love that. And so I'm using, speaking of what well, we're getting into it, uh, I'm, you know, as a parent trying to be creative, like you got to look at each individual, just like, like this reparenting thing, right? But I'm starting, I'm yeah. actually parenting. But just like when you're reparenting somebody with all these, with these principles and stuff, like you're trying to share, I'm trying to share. It's like, you need to come from an angle that relates to them, that they can connect with connecting with their why, uh, as Simon Sinek would say, you know, you gotta, yeah. you gotta connect on a deeper level to where they're like, ah, yes, I want to do that versus you should do this. Right. And so, well, yeah, go whenever ahead. I was using the word, no, I think it was always in the context of, I love you enough to say no. I love to say no. Right. And so yesterday, this is what I did. Right. So, or I've been using this lately, but it's an example where he didn't want to go to bed. And I said, well, He's, he's really, he's going through a superhero phase right now, which is like the uh, perfect thing because uh, that's like my, you see my superhero cape in the background. He actually wears that and runs around the, runs around our yard um, with his uh, little mask. It's, it's the uh, best. It momentum, it's got an M on it for momentum. So, and it's like, hey man, do you want to be a superhero? You got to listen to daddy because if you want to be a big, strong superhero and you want to be like those, the good guys, he's all into the good guys and the bad guys and the superheroes and the supervillains. Then you got to listen to daddy. I promise you, I'm telling you this 
to help you, to make you bigger, better, faster, stronger. I'm not doing it to punish you. And it's hard because they, you know, they, you know, you're trying to rationalize with somebody that their brain is not quite there yet. But just like I was saying, the equation of life, you keep beating this stuff into them. And maybe beating is not the right, the right word, but you keep, you know, you, instilling it. Yeah. And, and it's going to sink in eventually. And, and I'm trying to tell him you're an owner of your life. Like he, he also, he started crying yesterday because um, something he did, he, he spilled, he, he, or he couldn't get his shoe on and he started crying and he threw a fit. And I said, Wyatt, you are an owner, not a victim. You have everything in your power to get that shoe and put it on your foot. I promise you just uh... keep trying. And he went over and he got it and he struggled a little bit, but then he got it on and he had the biggest, brightest smile on his face. Now, what uh, if I just said, what if I just gone and put the shoe on for him? Would that have done any good for, nope. for, for the person he's going to become? Nope. He, that would instill, okay, well, I can just kind of throw a fit and I'll get what I want and I'm a victim and, and you know. That's not I, the lesson you want them to learn. Exactly, exactly. So well, I'm a little concerned that, that I sound... Uh too much like the monster that I really am when I say that the most powerful word in the English language is no. It's always in the context of I love you. And this is, you know, I happen to know more than you. I'm the grown up here. Uh, 100%. Right. And, and they're not going to like you here at first. But if they start to see, you know, and as a, the best thing you can do as a parent is be a role model. Right. And, and live your life the way you want them too. And it's not always easy. You know, like I said, you know, we all have our things that we struggle with and failure habits, but um, you know, eventually you hope that they'll see, well, wait, he's daddy's happy and people like him and he's got lots of friends and he's always, he, 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 you know, he, he's doing the things that I want to grow up to be. And then that you hope that that'll naturally. Um, but then there's also teenage years where I know I'm, you have kids, I assume. Let's see. I have grand. I've got four grandchildren. Four grandchildren, right? So, are any of them gone through? Uh, no, well, so you've been you've been through the teen, the, te the, I've, the I've teens. I've been through my through my own teen. Right, uh, and now of, of my kids. Are and any of the grandkids going through teens now, or have they been? No, the the, the 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 oldest is twelve. Got it. Okay. Oh, well, just around the corner, but, right? But so, you know what? It seems to me that if you don't have a good foundation for preteen, you're going to be in a world of trouble when they're teens. Very well said. I, I completely agree. So um, don't spoil them. Don't get them in terrible life habits when they're preteens, because preteen, you can really influence them. By the time they're teens, boy, does it get tough to change anything. And and the, how do you do that? You read books like yours, How to Be Up in a, sorry, what was the, How to Be Up in what? How to Be Up in Down Times. In Down and, Times. I love that and, title. Yeah, and I'm very happy people just remember how to be up. Because if you look on Amazon, that's that's, that's where you find it. Yeah, and you couldn't have couldn't have had a better co-author. I actually, you know, it's funny. I, well, I think you do. I I interviewed Mark and Chris, Mark Victor Hansen, and then his wife Chris. <laughs> they they you know they're they're doing a couple, a few different things. And he mentioned this book, and yeah. and then we were introduced. And um, so I he's an they're amazing. Both of them are amazing. He's an amazing individual. So you're very fortunate. That's great that you guys collaborate. Oh, I'm so jealous. I'm so oh. jealous. I'm, I'm jealous of myself. I can't believe that this happened, but <laughs> By the way, can I share something that I learned from him that I thought was just amazing? Absolutely. I mean, because I kind of had the feeling I knew a lot from my father and husband, but here's something that I learned from Mark. One day, sort of out of the blue, he said, I know that Photoshop is your hobby. I want you to create a mock-up 
of how to be up in down times. And then in Photoshop, right over the top of it, uh, more than a million copies sold. And I said, but Mark, I don't want to do false advertising. And he said, that's not the point. I'm not going to show it to people unless you explain what it's about. He said, make five copies of it and make some copies from you as well. And then this, this dummy copy, which um, I'm pretty sure you can't read it pretty well, but it does say more than a million copies sold. Nice. He said, it will help you with visualizing. Oh, yeah. And, and incredibly, it does. I mean, he said, put a copy up in the bathroom, in the kitchen, in the office, in the bedroom, everywhere. And then it will focus your mind on having a million copies sold. So I've been visualizing it. And let me tell you the impact it had. Uh, within a couple of days, I got an email from somebody I don't know in Taiwan who had read the book. And she was ordering 200 more for her friends. And then she inquired if she has a chain of stores, uh, if, if there would be a discount from Amazon if she could buy a thousand copies. Wow. Okay, and then, and then something else that visualizing does that I hadn't experienced before this, but I'm now a believer. I, I see this, uh, yeah, this paper with more than a million copies sold. I see it all over my apartment. And it gets me thinking, gee, what else could I do to do my share to, to sell the million copies? And it just focuses your mind sort of subconsciously or consciously. And I'm doing a lot more than I ever would have if there, it weren't for this visualization trick. God, visualization is, is super powerful. Yeah. And so I actually, unfortunately, so I did this great interview with them, just like we're doing, and it didn't save. I lost it. So we're actually going to be doing another one and we're going to have to relive that, that amazing, which I'm like, uh, awesome. I wait, wait, you, you lost the whole interview? The whole interview with Mark and Crystal, gone, gone forever. Oh, it's in the, agony, it's in the cyber clouds. Oh, it was painful because it was such a one, just like this one. It was a wonderful interview and they had so many great insights that they brought to the table, but um, I have a feeling that it's not going to be hard pressed to get those same insights out of them on this next one. So we're going to do it again. No, to me, they're both of them are walking miracles. Yeah. Yeah. So now how do you know them? How do you know Mark? How, how are you guys introduced? I founded an organization about a year and a half ago called win this fight. And if yeah. anybody wants to uh, explore it, it's win this org. And it's an anti-human trafficking effort. Mm. Yeah, and, I read that. Love that. And, and I raise money, not for my own organization, but for existing anti-trafficking organizations. The UN recognizes a couple of thousand anti-trafficking organizations. So there are a lot of people working on this. But every one of them, as far as I know, could use more money and more awareness. And that's what I'm doing. And I contacted Mark Victor Hansen about it. Yeah. Hardly daring to speak to him because I admire him so much. And lo and behold, we talked for an hour and he was totally on board and wanting to do something wow. about it. That's well, that so was great. a year ago. Uh, and so we were working on a project together. Absolutely beautiful one, but it's, it's on hold because of COVID-19. Yeah. But we stayed in touch. Well, actually, we were very much in touch. But um, in January, when it looked as if the pandemic was going to hit the world, I made this suggestion to him and he took it. <laughs> I like that. Uh, yeah, that that's so you just you did something which is something I'm always telling people to do, which is be bold, 
reach out, you know, don't be shy. Like, especially this day and age, I had this guest on uh, yesterday and he was talking about how, um, especially in this day and age, how easy it is to be able to connect with people. And like, you can DM them on their, on their, uh, their social media. And the way you do it, you know, you got, you get, I mean, you can't just come out and be like, Hey, I think you're, I'm your biggest fan. Can you, you know, can you have lunch or can you, can you chat? You know, that's not, you gotta be very specific say, this is what I'm thinking. This is, this, I admire you because, and again, goes back to make them feel special, not for what everybody else sees them as special as, but zero in on something that relates to you. Pure Dale Carnegie. Pure Dale Carnegie, right? Just oozing Dale Carnegie, right? And then, um, right. And then, and then you, and then you say, yeah, let's, and then you did it. And then he said, yes. And then now all of a sudden, this whole new amazing chapter opened up and a year later, here you are with a book. And had you not reached out, you had zero, zero yeah, percent chance. Actually, I feel that my entire life is built on long shots because I had a career in television, newspaper, radio, and without a whole lot of qualifications for any of those. But I thought if other people can do it, I can do it. Mm. Uh, I like so, that. All right. And I have a theory that I, I mentioned boasting, 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 that there was a period when I was the most widely syndicated environmental columnist in the country. I didn't have a whole lot of qualifications for that. <laughs> And on top of that, I, I would bet money that there are 100,000 people who are better writers than I am. On the other hand, I'm the one who made the proposal. And it got accepted. God. And so it sounds the, like you took, go ahead, finish. finish well, I'm just thinking that the people who are better writers than I am, or who know a lot more about the environment than I do, they didn't make the proposal. On the other hand, I did have a certain amount of self-confidence that, oh, let's see, I should, I'm, I'm a lady, I won't use swear words, but I'm going, to, <laughs> I love it. I, I'm, I'm going to make this work. I, I'll do the research. I'll do the. Uh, Gee, I wonder where uh, you got that from. It reminds me of a story <laughs> you told me earlier about a guy who struggled in a certain area and then said, gosh, darn it, I'm going to make this work and yeah. went ahead and figured out how to do it and did it with in spades. Sounds yeah. like maybe well, you, so that, you. That was my career as a writer. But then my career in television is almost more extreme. Because uh, I'm going to guess that you wouldn't instantly imagine that I once was horrifically shy. I mean, it was hard. I was so shy, it was hard for me to use the telephone. As was I. Really? Oh. Oh, yeah. When I was at my rock bottom, I, I was so shy, I couldn't even look in the mirror. Yeah, true. But, but I was there. But uh, nevertheless, I applied for a television show <laughs> and auditioned and got it. What was the show? It was called Focus on Farming. It was the farm show at the CBS affiliate in Sacramento. And I was a rice farmer at that point. And wow. I thought I had some cool stories to tell. And I knew a lot of people that I could include as guests. And how could this happen? I, I had no experience in broadcasting and I was too shy to use the telephone. And suddenly I'm the hostess. Good morning and welcome to Country Magazine. <laughs> um, that's such a great story. I love that. But again, there, I, I bet there, I said there are 100,000 people who are better writers. There are probably a million people who would be better television show producers, but I went for it. And, so, and, and I did learn, I think I learned enough to be good at it because it became syndicated to 76 stations. Yeah, you are like, 
you can't just just you got to just spread your juice out here to the world. This is everything well, you're saying. Tell you how I did is, it. Let me tell you how I did it. Yeah, tell me. Tell us. Um, I took the Dale Carnegie public speaking course, but mm -hmm. I also took um, the Dale Carnegie salesmanship course, which it, it wasn't that hard to get one show, but to get it syndicated, that meant salesmanship. And I didn't know anything about salesmanship whatsoever. But the Dale Carnegie course uh, helped me get a sponsor and I'm off and running. Wow. I love that this all keeps tying back to like my, I call him the number one OG, original gangster, Dale Carnegie. Like he's such a big pivotal role in my life. And, and I love that he was a big pivotal role in your life as well. And has, has, has led to a lot of your successes, your dad's, your husband's, yours. I mean, it sounds like you guys embraced his philosophy early on as did I. And, you know, building and selling my company. Oh, my gosh, I can't even tell you. Had, had I not gotten that stuff early on imprinted in my brain, there's no way I could have been able to do what I did. So somebody, there's been questions being asked. We've been rapping and having such a good time. I, I didn't want to interrupt the flow. But let's go. So somebody just asked, uh, Iron Beauty, would you give some tips on building self-confidence? So, I mean, you just kind of talked about, you know, you, you, you know, you, you took a course. I think that that's definitely a good way to go about it. Like if you, it's sort of like, you can't just create it out of thin air, but if, when you take a course and you're like, oh, this is the way to do it, then something magical and you have, goes, okay, well, I'm not guessing anymore. This is the way you're supposed to do it. Right. So that's definitely one way. All right. Well, I admitted to being a self-help book addict, but now, uh, I, I've, I've admitted that I'm 79, but I still go to YouTube and listen to TED Talks. And, and mm. I've sometimes thought that inspiration is one of the greatest gifts one person can give another. And you get inspiration. I think it's awful hard to generate it in your own. I mean, I certainly can't. But I can listen to somebody inspiring and I can think they can do it. I can do it. So, so how do you develop self-confidence? I don't think I'd even try to do it by myself. I'd... I'd, I'd I'd seek out people who are going to encourage me and see the best in me. But then there's another side to that, which is, oh, this is real personal. But, but if there's somebody who's attacking my self-confidence, um, I must look at them as the enemy. And I, I think I don't mean that literally, but they're, you know, get away from me. Energy vampires, right. Just yeah, get them out of yeah. your life. You don't need them in your yeah. life. Energy vampire is a lot better word than enemy because I don't really think of them as enemies, but they're they're not people I want in my life. Right. I mean, that term I just used that comes from another self help book. It's called the Energy Bus, and I I, I just it was about how there's two types of there's there's these people in the world that are you know he he used it more in the terms of energy. They just suck the energy out, and but part of that is you know being negative, um, trying to hurt your self confidence, trying to take away. And, and I'm mentoring a couple college students right now from my alma mater, Rollins College in Winter Park, Florida. And one of them the other day, this reminded me, he said, you know, I, I, I feel like I'm getting all this hate from people. And he's like, they call, they get, they, they, they use this term, the young, the youth right now, the Gen Zers, right? Um, they call it hardos and they call it uh, uh, tryhards. This is this derogatory term that they're now using. Um, back when it was my, it was like wannabes, right? There's always, yeah. there's always those people that are down here that do not want to see somebody go up there because it will make them feel awful about themselves. And they don't want to have to be forced to look in the mirror and be like, well, I could be doing more. I could be doing that, right? They want everybody to come down with them to their level. And so 
they call you know they they say you're oh you're a try hard you're trying too hard it's like well heck yeah i'm trying hard i want to be the best version of myself what else am i supposed to do just sit around and hope that it happens oh i'm so with you on that attitude and the person who asked was it male or female about male male okay uh i i'm looking into the camera right now and it might look as if i'm looking at you but in fact i'm i'm looking at the guy who just asked that question and i'm going to tell you sir the same thing that my father used to tell the people who worked with him, which is, I believe in you. I know you can do it. The fact that you have the energy to tune into this tells me that you can do it. Thank you. I, I'm going to, when we, when we do this, I'm going to make sure that he gets that, that while well, he watches the whole episode, he'd love it. He's, 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 he's like a young, I see a lot of me and him. He's, he's into self-help books and he's just trying to better himself. And he's like, there's so much out there. And he's just like this, you know, this bright eyed and bushy tail, just ready to take on the world. Yet he's got, you know, these things that he, some of his failure habits and some of the things that have been put on him. And he knows that he wants to switch some of this stuff. And he's just like so eager. And I'm just mentoring. I'm not charging anything to these, these people. I'm just like, I just want to help you. I want to see you become your best self. And as we, we started this broadcast, you know, it's like that the whole, what was your, your quote, um, uh, the giving, uh, it's not what you can get, but what you can give, you know, I love that. And that's anybody that starts to give will totally get that. Anybody that hasn't given and it's just about me, 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 take, 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 they're just going to roll their eyes at that. Right. But if you've done it and you've actually started to help other people and be unselfish and use your resources and your focus and put it on, another person, a group, the world, whatever, to try to make it better and, and help them gain momentum, you're automatically going to gain your own momentum. And then not only that, then they're going to, it's going to come back your way 10 times. They're going to want to do the same for you. So it's like literally a win-win. And, but if every, and if everybody could just embrace that philosophy, we wouldn't be where we are right now in this world. Do we have time for a story from how to be up and down times? Absolutely. Please. Okay. Th this is a story about how to be happy. And there, there was a period a few years ago where in one week, I read a biography of Napoleon Bonaparte, Emperor of France, a couple of hundred years ago. Do I mean a couple of hundred? Yeah. And Mother Teresa, the, the Catholic nun. And in, in the biography of Napoleon, he's writing this at the end of his days. He's in exile and this island in the, you know, thousands and thousands of miles away from civilization he's yep. in exile. And he's thinking back in his life and he knows that he's had all the power, all the fame, all the money, all the territory, all the women, more than any human being probably up to that time had ever had and probably not since has had that much of the world's goodies. Right. And he's writing, I can't name five happy days in my entire life. I'm writing that so, down. I never knew okay, that. So, so all these all these world's goodies that came his way didn't make him happy. Right after that, I read a biography of Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa had a vow of poverty and also a vow of humility. Mm -hmm. And as part of her vow of poverty, she owned four possessions. The, the, the beginning and end of the things that Mother Teresa owned were three cotton saris and a pair of sandals on her feet. That was, and when, 
in, in her daily life, she would do what she called eat the bread of the poor, which means that you know, she'd eat the same food that, that somebody was living on a dollar a day would be eating. I mean, she had, she had, how about as far from Napoleon Bonaparte as a person could be as far as the world's goodies. Right. She writes towards the end of her life, my life has been a feast of unending joy. Wow. So who was happier? The, the person who went after the world's goodies or the person who spent her life giving? Mitzi, Woo. That's, such, that's a really good one. My life has been a feast of unending joy. Um, you know, I, I tell the story about how so I, I became this, you know, I hit my rock bottom. I became this self-help, you know, beast. Just never stopped, still am, if, if I could show you. Here, in fact, let me show you this. Can you see? Let's see. Uh, oh, can everybody see that? Very impressive. These are some of the ones I've, and, and I mean, I got them everywhere, but those are some of the ones I'm going through and trying to find. Oh, probably shouldn't have done that. But the, the point is, you know, it's like, you can go through life in so many different ways. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, what's, what's success really mean? What's important? And, and I thought I got to a point when I hit that rock bottom where I was like, I am going to show them all. I'm just going to become filthy stinking rich. Cause I grew up, I grew up poor. My grandparents, my grandfather was successful um, so some of that stuff, just like you, you, your father, I was able to fortunately get some of that stuff rub off on me. Um, but my mom, she, she, my, she was a hippie as was my dad. And my, my grandfather was actually general, a three-star general in World War II and the Korean War. He boycotted wow. the wedding. Yeah. Did not go to the wedding wow. because my mom married, was marrying a hippie. And he's like, are you joking? So they didn't talk for years, but you know, so I got, so my, my sister lived in a, a van for the first two years of her life. We, we grew up very poor. I said, when I hit that, when I started to reinvent myself and I was like, I'm going to become happy, just like 99% of people out there. I'm like, I'm going to become so filthy, stinking rich that it, you know, everybody's going to be sorry for anything they ever said to me. And I'm going to be so happy. And I'm going to sit on a beach drinking a pina colada saying, eat my dust people. Right. <laughs> And so flash forward, you know, 25 years, this past year, we sold our company. And, but meanwhile, fortunately, along the way, I was reading these, these books and realizing what life is really about and building these other things. These course, by the way, didn't even come around until I sold my company and I sat down and I said, what do I want to do with my life? Okay, I'm going to finish this book. What is life about? And I just kind of had to take, it was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. It's like taking uh, as many jigsaw pieces as puzzles, pieces as there are grains of sand on the earth and trying to put them all together. And fortunately I had this kind of this epiphany, like, wait, it's just, it's about these areas. And, you know, I realized that the career and the finances, ironically, when I sold my company and I got this big check, it felt amazing. I'm not going to lie for 10 minutes, but then it was yes. like, now what, now what? Right. And that I want everybody like, and I've said this a couple of times on the, on the show before, but, you know, I want everybody to hear that and to feel that because we become so focused on things. And the, I, I like your term you use, the goodies, the wealth. And yes, that's, you know, money is, 
it has its place. And so that's why it's one of your cores is career finances, but it's not just go out and make money for the sake of money. It's what are you doing to make money? What is your career? Are you using your passions? Uh, do you like, do you know what your passions truly are? Like what lights your fire or do you know what your strengths truly are? Are you combining those and are you setting goals? Are you setting a purpose and, and moving towards that? And then as you're making money, you're incrementally growing it along the way with principles such as, you know, from people like rich dad, poor dad and compounding passive income, these types of things, which people just don't seem to understand. Right. I, I, I can't understand why, why rich dad, poor dad isn't taught in the schools. Should be. Should be. That I, changed because, my life financially. Yeah. There would be so much more happiness in the world if people understood rich dad, poor dad. <sighs> Tell me about it. Right. And, and that's exactly my point. So part, part of my move, my, this movement I'm trying to create, this, this, this more momentum, this movement of change is to get people to see things like what we just said, like, and I want this stuff taught in schools. I want it taught early on. I want it ingrained. I want it part of the curriculum. Yes. Math, science, history, these things are important, but we're, we're taking classes like advanced algebra and, you know, trig bio chem six versus how to get along with others, how to make people feel special, right? How to, how to balance your checkbook, how to grow your money passively, like we were just talking about. Like, whoa, come on. And so that's exactly what I'm trying to do and what I'm all about. I, I, I'm just having a fantasy of being the Lord High person in charge of public education. And boy, I would add uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I would, I would add a whole lot of Dale Carnegie stuff. How to win friends, of course. That would be top of the right. That I should mean, be required reading. If, you know, again, my fantasy, if I'm Lord High person in charge of it, Zap has to be. Well, let's do it, Mitzi. Let's, let's, right. let's do it. You and I, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna continue to collaborate after this. We're going to work on this. I'm not kidding. This is a, a super passionate thing. I, I want, you know, especially now, like I said, I got these two little kids about to go through the system. And it's like, oh, man. <laughs> like, I, I serendipitously discovered how to win friends and influence people, like, accidentally when I was in college. Had I read that book at 12 years old and that had been taught and that there had been a whole course designed around that, like, my life would have gone completely different. I wouldn't have been suicidal at 18. You know what I'm saying? And how many other people are out there like that? So millions, millions and millions and millions, because you know, such basic important knowledge is invisible unless somebody points it out to you. Right. And again, it's about connecting to their why, you know, it can't just be, oh, you should make, you know, the golden rule do unto others. It's like, oh, yeah, that goes in one ear out the other. It's got to connect with people on a level in a way. And that's why, you know, instead of just like, reading it on a on a post on Instagram and seeing it as a quote and liking it and then going to the next thing and it's gone forever. It needs to be an actual part of a curriculum. It needs to be weaved into the fabric of who they are and they need to at least have the opportunity to have been exposed to it and get it and say, this is what your life could look like. And then at that point, they can make their choice. You know, maybe some people are gonna say, ah, I don't wanna do this, that's fine. But at least you've been exposed to it and you you can't blame anybody else. And, and it just, it turns, it goes back to that whole fixed, uh, fixed victim versus growth owner is what I actually call it. It's, it's a fixed victim. Versus, I just love it. Right. It, it's, it's creating these growth owners early on, creating these, 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 these people that understand that they have everything within them to kick ass, take names, be whatever they want. Obstacles are temporary roadblocks waiting for solutions. And no matter what they're going to, they they're going to be able to get to where they want to go versus for me, 
My brain's broken. Yeah, I mean, oh, somebody's if, not handing it to me. Yeah, imagine if my father, uh, when he was told, you've got the worst human relations skills I've ever come across, had just accepted, okay, I suck. Now, right. uh, this is the most important thing in my life, and I'm going to transcend it. And your father was very fortunate in a way, but I mean, he did it. So I don't want to make it sound like it just fell into his lap. Like he's the one that did the work, but it was fortunate that his brain worked in such a way that he said, okay, there's a challenge and I'm going to overcome it. Whereas a lot of people, and especially Mitzi, this day and age with this Insta generation we're living in and these younger kids, this younger generation coming in, you can literally get anything you want with the click of a button, right? You can, you can get your food delivered. You can get your packages delivered. You can get yourself delivered in a vehicle anywhere you want to go. Like, it's very easy to not have the self-discipline and to not be able and to stick to your commitments. It's becoming harder and harder. And back in the day, you know, when our great-grandparents, they had to milk their own cows and they had to churn their own butter. And it was like that, that built, that, that actually built character. And it's, it's, it's without having these types of principles and people teaching you in school, there's not as many opportunities to build character like there used to be. Yeah. I, yeah. With, with my kids and yeah, they're, how about they're the brightest spot of my life. I mean, I just adore my kids. They're, they're in their fifties now. Uh, but I never tried to make things easy for them. I tried to make them harder for them because I thought I, I, I don't want hothouse flowers. I want, I want the weeds that can, <laughs> that can survive. Good for you. I bet you were a great parent. And I'm guessing your, your kids turned out pretty well. Well, one has a Harvard PhD in molecular biology, and that's, that's a tough thing to, I mean, it's tough to get into Harvard, and it's really tough to be a molecular biologist. You went to Harvard. Didn't I, I did. read that? Good yeah, I did. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and then my other son is a Berkeley graduate, and he, went, he has a degree from Wharton. So I think you've got to be, and oh, and then something that I'm so proud of, the, the, the Wharton son, he started working in the chicken industry under my late husband at age 15. After my husband died, two years after he died, my son's stepbrother, who heads the company, appointed my son vice president. And wow. I, you have to be a pretty together, effective, good person to have your stepbrother work with you every single day, as well as you know, attend Thanksgiving and so on together. No doubt. Well, so, I could talk. Sorry, sorry. Finish that thought, please. No, I've, I've done enough boasting, and I'm embarrassed. No. <laughs> you actually have been very humble. I mean, I, I, if somebody go on and look up Mitzi Purdue, and you'll see there's there's tons of stuff you have not even mentioned that uh, are, are incredible accolades and accomplishments. I'm humbled to be in your presence. So thank you for spending this time. I could literally talk to you probably for 20 hours straight. Uh, I would too. Um, so, but we try to keep these to a certain length. I'm going to call you after this. I want to chat real briefly with you. Um, just to kind of close this out. And it was such a wonderful experience. Thank you so much for being on the show. And I would love to have you on again. And I know that our, our viewers, we got some great questions. We didn't get to all of them. Um, but we'll repost little clips. Be sure that, you know, you know, you can check out our page and we're going to repost little highlights of this over the next two, three weeks. So be looking for those as well. You know, it was pure joy being part of this. Thank you. Thank you, Mitzi. Okay, I'll give you I'll give you a ring. And thanks everybody for tuning in. That's it for today's episode of the Five Core Live Podcast. If you have not already, please follow and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite 
listening platform. And of course, if you got a ton of value and you think someone else in your network might as well, share the podcast so others can enjoy. That's it. Now it's time for you to go fire on all cylinders. See you next time. Get moving. Build momentum. Join the movement. Go to moremomentum.com to take a free life evaluator quiz on where you currently stand in each of your five cores.